The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. Jay here Stretford Paddock. This is the Tier 1 podcast and joining me for a change is Joe Smith. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Not not Ronaldo Brown, but Joe Smith. So. No, Ronaldo was uh, out of the city today, so I had to step in for him quite, no, quite willingly. Always a pleasure. And also we've got a guest as well, Laurie Whitwell from The Athletic. Laurie, it's been a little while. How's it going? It's been a while, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I feel like we should apologise for having you on at this time <laughs> in United's history where it's just not very good. To be fair, there's been a few uh, points in the past where you've asked me and I've thought, it, right, it's a bit, bit bit sketchy right now. Can we do it, you know, when, it when things have picked up and it just hasn't? Yeah, so, so here we go. Yeah, Bite probably better now than before it gets even worse. Um, loads to get through, as yeah. you'd expect. Um, we'll start with the sort of the obvious one. So, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his, his, his future. At the time of recording, <laughs> he's still the Manchester United manager. Um, what have you made of what's gone on and the sort of the pressure he's under? How much pressure is he under now? It's an enorm- enormous pressure because you know United are slipping down the table with performances that you know bear uh, little resemblance to any kind of cohesion, any kind of system. You've got players that are now losing the faith or lost the faith in his abilities to actually bring this team to the place where they think it should be in terms of challenging for titles. Um, I think the play, and that's that's a difficult aspect when when players start to doubt what a manager's telling them, I think th- it's difficult to retrieve that. Um, obviously, results can can perhaps retrieve it, but I feel like it's got to a point now where it's it's getting close to Solskjaer being unable to turn this around. Um, listen, the, the, the board still retain faith in him, still want to back him, um, but I think if results, you know, they've got Watford after the international break, and, and that seems like a, a crucial game. For Solskjaer, I mean, if they lose that, I don't see really how they can keep him in charge. That was always the thing, wasn't it? It was always the the players were still on his side, the players liked him, the players believed in him. And when that slips, I think you can see as a fan, like there's there's a different feel to the the team now than there was under previous sort of bad runs of form we've had. Like we've been watching obviously every game and you know having to look at the reaction online and uh, in the ground and stuff. It does have a different feel now. It does feel there's more of an inevit- inevitability to it now. Who can you say which players have lost faith in him? No, I don't, I don't want to point fingers. <laughs> Come on, like that. I, I, I don't. You don't know for certain, do you? Because you get told stuff, and you, you kind of have to trust yeah. where it's coming from, based on what other people have told you in the past and, and yeah. what's come 
you know, out to be correct. So, and, and, and st- saying something like that isn't taken lightly, by the way, I have to add that, you know, and, and Solskjaer might well turn around, you know, tomorrow and say, no one's lost faith in me, you know, mm. and, and he might well defend his corner, which he'd absolutely have every right to do. Um, but I think the, the collaborative um, sort of work that we, we can do you know, at The Athletic and, you know, speak to my colleagues and, and obviously speak to my sources, you just get that impression that, you know, I think the players like him, think he's obviously, he's protected them publicly. Um, he's brought the club on from where he was when he took over. The kind of culture around the place is better, definitely. Um, he's trying to do things. He, he's, he's, and this is this is kind of why I would always say, and I was sort of, was supportive of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, was that he always wanted the best for Man United, like he, he genuinely does. So I don't think the, to, to kind of, to slag him off is, is necessary, really. I think you can kind of accept that perhaps he isn't, you know, good enough, but I don't think they needs to go that extra bit further. Um, and I think that's where the players are, are at a little bit. Um, it, clearly, it won't be, you know, everybody, um, but I think you've got quite a lot of big personalities in there um, who've been in situations where they've been challenging for titles previously and they don't quite see where United are going at this point. Do you think there's um, a difference of opinion above Ollie? Do you think there are some that are sort of more pro Ollie than others? Do you feel like there is a bit of a sort of, a sort of you know, a bit of fractured nature in the boardroom of whether Ollie can get them out of this or get us out of this mess? I think United are still sticking by the fact that they feel like Solskjaer can, can bring it round. I mean, they look at the situation where, you know, he's had them qualifying for the Champions League for two seasons in a row. Nobody's done that since Alex. So that is a, an element of stability that they have. And when you look at the owners being the Glazer family, you know the reason they took over the club was for financial reasons. Um, you know they've sold off shares this year. Um, three different siblings have, so they've made you know hundreds of millions of pounds in in share sales. Um, they also have dividends every year, so that that's basically the, the the crux of their business. So if you've got a manager in place who is delivering you know a consistent revenue stream for them, then why would they change that? It'll obviously cause a lot of upheaval to, to change a manager. You know, you've got the payoff, which I don't think is as significant as the Jose Mourinho payoff. Not not anywhere close, but still it's something to consider. And also the fact that they have this, you know, they've got a bond with Ollie. You know, he he's been there with them for, you know, three years now. Um he's, he gets on well with them personally. It's not like it's a, a case where you've got you've just hired a you know a guy and, and you're kind of getting on with him in a working relationship. He does have a you know a good sort of bond with them. Um, so I think they they would rather stick with it and see if it can be turned around than, than kind of tear everything up that they feel like you know, has been building towards this point. And I think they, they didn't they did not predict that it would unravel this quickly. You know they signed Sancho, Varane, and Ronaldo, mm. and it's it's gone downwards rather than upwards. Why do you think it has then? Because it's obviously the same manager we've had for the last two years. We finished third, we finished second. I know you can look at a weakened Chelsea or a, a sort of a, a disrupted Chelsea in a weakened Liverpool last season. But even then, we still finished above them and we had injuries ourselves. Pog was out for a good chunk, like we'll get to in a minute, um, as, as he is again now. But why do you think it has unravelled? Because to me, that uh, that does point to, as you mentioned before, discontentment of players because mm. he's no worse a tactician now than he was 12 months ago. And yet we look... You know, less well drilled. We look less like the players know what, what they're doing. There's rumours of, you know, people like Bruno and stuff sort of thinking, I, I want a bit more direction in my position. Again, I don't know the truth in that, but these are what this is what we're hearing. Why do you think that is? Because, like I said, we got all these good players in in, in the summer, and then now we look. Oli looks a worse manager now than he did 12 months ago with a worse squad. Is it the pressure? Is it the expectation? What's gone wrong? Do you think? I feel a few things. I think he's tried to move the team on where he realised that last season, you know, 
in the big games, he, he played, you know, McFred and a lot of draws, nil-nils. Um, so he's tried to develop the team into a more expansive attacking um, approach. And it's not, the systems aren't there in place. So you've got kind of this halfway house between players thinking, right, I'll go and press, and then obviously leaving gaps mm. behind, which is obviously the big thing against Liverpool. Against Leicester, Le- Leicester was the game for me where I, I really started to worry um, because I thought I looked at the players and it didn't seem like there was any kind of understanding of what they each needed to do. And f- on, perhaps on the flip side of that, were they giving the messages as clearly as, as they needed to be? So, I mean, for example, the Liverpool game, we were told that you know, the, the, the instruction was to press Liverpool, but that actually in training they don't really train that much pressing. And when you speak to more people, it's like, well, yeah, that's the style is actually more to kind of sit off a little bit um, and kind of counter, um, you know, get back into shape, get back into block uh, and try and win the ball lower down the field. But I do remember, you know, points last season when Solskjaer talked about high press, uh, you know, with Greenwood, Rashford um, in tow, and, and you sort of think where what, what's happened along the lines. And I suppose you come back to Ronaldo, who was the kind of opportunistic signing um, that really they didn't anticipate being able to make this summer. And, and that's, you can't really dispute what Ronaldo's produced. You know, he's obviously scored brilliant goals. And I think there's an idea that, I mean, we had an interview with uh, Benucci at Juventus who said that Ronaldo for them at times meant that players didn't necessarily. Um, not give their all, but they, they sort of had a, a subconscious easing off where they thought Ronaldo's going to bail us out. And I sort of wonder if that potential is at play with United now. Um, so you've got this kind of weird mix of, I think Solskjaer's trying to strive for something that he wants from his team, but not having necessarily the wherewithal to, to do it. Um, and then you have got the coaching situation where, you know, we've highlighted that, um, you know, Kieran McKenna, 34, and this isn't to sort of denigrate him. I think he's, from what we hear, he's a really diligent coach, puts a lot of preparation into his sessions and, and very good. But he's come from United's academy, you know, where he's, he was previously coaching the under 18. So how he can't really he can't really talk back on experiences that he's had as, as, and mm. use, as, use those as inspiration to the players that he's coaching. Um, listen, I mean, there's always, when, when stuff's on the slide, there's always going to be people pointing fingers and certainly some of the players need to look at themselves and, and really raise their games because you know some of the in, some of the mistakes that they're making has got nothing to do with the manager um whoever the or the coaches or whatever the instructions are um so i think this, this, there is a, a lot of blame to go around but i think ultimately it's Solskjaer's responsibility right now where the team are at do you think there's been other candidates looked at seriously by United of someone to come in and replace him? Because we're in so many different stories yeah. and rumours and names sort of, you know, almost coming out of nowhere with the Ralph Ragnick stuff and, and Brendan Rodgers is another one that keeps popping up and, you know, there's just there's a whole host of names. You don't know how serious some of these are, but do you think the board or the, the owners are looking at other candidates or are they sort of fully invested in Ole for now? I mean, you get conflicting reports. I genuinely believe that United are not speaking to any managers with, with any serious degree. I think, I think you know, it's they want to. That's not really how they do things. I know that they've had you know Van Hal in place when not in place, but that, that was kind of like lined up a little bit when Moyes left, and certainly Mourinho was in place whilst Van Hal was still there, and clearly Solskjaer was spoken to before he took over. Um, but the, I think there's perhaps a difference between having serious, earnest talks, you know, as, with a view to, right, let's get around the table and, and hear what you'd like as, in your demands, and kind of perhaps subtly through intermediaries or whoever, testing out who might be available. You, you've for sure got agents put in, Managers into United, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and I felt do, like that with Conte a little bit. 
Like, yeah. whenever, when, you know, after the Liverpool game, it felt like everything was coming from Conte's side. Conte wants a job, Conte yeah. would be interested. Conte doesn't usually take jobs yeah, midway through the season. Long, but for Man United, a much bigger club than he's ever managed before, after not having a job for six months, he'd be willing to make an exception. <laughs> I was like, of course he would. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was very, I mean, the, the stories we got were always from that side. It yeah. was very much, and, you know, United, you know, absolutely were not speaking to Conte. You know, it was it was a case of, I think he making sure that he was, you know, known that he would quite, get, you know, like the job, um, you know, which I guess isn't necessarily a surprise. But equally, I think you know, Italian managers do tend to like having a pre-season, and as mm. you say, um, but then he's gone into Tottenham, so yeah. I suppose it was a team that he rejected in the summer, yeah. and now he's willing to join halfway through the season. Yeah, yeah. United w- weren't ever really, I don't think, seriously considering Conte. And you can you can disagree with them over that because. You know, he's won the Premier League, he's won Serie A, you know, he's still in his prime, he's literally come from a team winning the title in Italy. Yeah. Um, but I think also you can accept that he would have been a an abrasive character for them um, and whether that, that's actually what they need. So, you know, I mean, they had that with Jose a little bit, but I think Conte perhaps would be, I don't think you can kind of bracket the two guys as the same because they're at different stages of their career. And I think, you know, sometimes United perhaps do need someone to kind of speak some home truth to them. But I think ultimately you could probably see Conte as a, a more of a, a short-term two, three years, whereas they would generally like somebody to kind of be there for, for a long time. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the long time thing seems to be a big thing because uh, there seems to be no consensus on, I mean, on pretty much anything you know, with United fans at the minute. We'll talk about that a bit more. Um, but like some people want an interim manager, some people, you know, Ragnick to the end of the season, some people want to just try and get Ten Hag or whoever now, someone who, who has stayed at clubs for multiple years, some people just want a Conte, some people want Rodgers, some people would never have Rodgers because of Liverpool. There doesn't, what it seems to me is there isn't a, a consensus manager. Mm. Even Jose, who, yes, people had reservations, at the time was the closest thing in pretty much football history to guaranteed success. He'd won the league at every single club he'd been at and even you know twice at Chelsea in two different spells. There isn't a consensus obvious mm. option. I don't think anywhere in Europe is there. And obviously that isn't changed or isn't helped by the fact that, like you said, there isn't rumours of United speaking to anyone. So there's not one name we can all sort of rally around and actually, well, maybe, you know, I'll put this one thing to one side because he's going to be the manager. This is a really difficult decision, isn't it? Like there is no obvious person there is no, you know, do United go with something short term and a bit more, you know, a high high um, possibility that we we'll win something, or do you take more of a risk? Do you think that's playing into it as well for the for the Glazers and 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 Woodward and whoever's making this decision that there isn't an obvious option here, and no matter how much people want Ole out, no one can agree on who should come in next. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I, I think that's why I don't think they've, you know, they've not gone full throttle into it because there isn't a. I think they would consider any manager as a risk, you know, yeah, um, for, for a start. But also, yeah, because they like to have control over the situation. You know, they like to know what they're going to be spending, what the kind of manager setup is going to be. They've got that with Ollie, you know. So to, to change all that would, would, would need a lot of sort of deliberation, I suppose, and a lot of research into who they're actually going to appoint. Um, I mean, I, I do feel like Mauricio Pochettino is probably the one out of all of them that perhaps has that, you know, a bit of cachet. He's obviously built the team in in England before. He's got that, so he's got that long term perspective. He's currently at PSG, obviously, and there's no sign that, that he wants to. You know, that that's going to end. Mm. Um, although I, I do sort of wonder if he's fully engaged with that kind of project because you've got you know 
Messi, Neymar and Mbappe, I mean, great players to manage, obviously, but you kind of feel like with Pochettino, he'd actually quite like something of his own, organic, to kind of build and develop. And he, I suppose he could have that with United, albeit, you know, they've got Ronaldo here, so he, he would have to play every week. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's the key, that actually there's not really a manager out there that is, you know, out of work is, is probably a key thing as well that yeah. is easy to, to get right now. Um, so that's why there's this kind of faith or a sort of a sort of thought that we should stick with Solskjaer until, you know, until it gets untenable, which they hope it doesn't. You know, which they hope it can. We've got a run of fixtures now that comes up that, that is much more comfortable. Could it kind of get to a point where they're actually not too far off the Champions League places? I mean, th- you know, they're only five points off Liverpool right now, which sounds crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Considering the start, but I think the Champions League positions are a key factor with the Glazers, yeah. you know, because you've got. Now, Jose Mourinho was sat when that looked an irretrievable situation. I know, obviously, the, the, the situation had got toxic as well, but, you know, they were, I'm not sure exactly where they were in the table, but it, it, they were far well, off it, weren't they? Ninth or yeah, we were well off. After that Liverpool yeah. game, It was that's when it got like, yeah. you, looked, so you thought this is going to be a struggle. Yeah. And obviously, we, with uh, Moyes, it was physically impossible. Yeah. One of that was the, literally the day they made the decision. Van Gaal as well. I yeah. know it was last day of the season, but, but they did not fin- n- no, we finish top with four. six, yeah. aren't we? Um, Joe mentioned Woodward earlier, who's been in the papers again. Um, there's lots of talk of him having some form of role with the club once he's left. What's your take on that? What sort of How do you think that's going to look like if it, indeed it does happen? Yeah, we, we had a piece um, on the Athletic about uh, the Super League six months on, so sort of revisiting what had happened at the time and, and then what it looks like now. So we sort of spoke about Richard Arnold, Richard Arnold, basically everyone expecting him to take over, sort of being more present in football meetings and also this idea that Edward would actually could stay on um, in a consultancy role yeah um, <laughs> I think that's really not, not his day to day but just his opinions yeah. <laughs> well this has served United the, so well the, the wealth of his years. knowledge well yeah. they had it with John Alexander the secretary who you know left uh, and wasn't necessarily well regarded by everybody you know I think certain people at United will say did a great job but other people will say not for me you know yeah. Liverpool fan so that you, know, you can sort of see oh yeah he's lost the room already well, there yeah, we go yeah. so just to throw that one out there um, and I know that allegiances shouldn't count you know against people in, when they're working in football but it, I don't know I feel like there's some 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 lines that you perhaps don't cross but um, and he you know and he's, he got a consultancy role so I was always of the opinion that Woodward might well you know do this he's known the Glazers for so many years he's integral to how they've you know owned Manchester United you know, he's got relationships, I suppose, with people around Europe that not all of them have been burnt by the Super League. So would he add some kind of value in that regard? It's up to them to decide, really. But I think it would look, I think it would look pretty bad given that he, you know, resigned because of the Super League as a kind of, you know, I can't possibly, you know, uh, back this, mm. um, you know, thing that I've been secretly plotting to do for. Yeah, a I can only of back it till the end of the year, yeah. which is eight months from now, exactly. whenever it was. Uh, yeah. yeah. So if he sticks around, it would just be like, well, the whole premise of you leaving isn't doesn't wash, then does it? Yeah. And also, this, this there's another rumor that's he doesn't want to have Ollie's sort of sacking as, as his last sort of role or his last job that he does before he leaves. Is there anything in that? Because that doesn't that to me, if this is your job and you think this, you know, sacking all is the right thing to do, surely the fact that you're leaving soon doesn't affect your willingness or ability to do the job you believe in. Is yeah. there any truth in that? I, I don't know, you know, no, I can't um, see inside his mind, but th- there's this sense, yeah, there's this sense, th- does he really want to do it as his last act? Last act? There's sort of people that know 
how he works. And yeah. that's well, that's the question that's kind of come out. And then on the flip side, Richard Arnold, does he want to do it as his first act? It's, but it's, like, like it's not about what, which, uh, yeah. which part of your yeah. tenure it is. Yeah. It's a slightly gutless way of doing things that I don't want to cause a fuss to, to go, so I'll do something that I don't believe in. And fair enough, if they want to keep Ollie, that's up to, you know, it's their decision, it's literally their job. But you just think, they th- if they think they, sh- they should get rid of him and they don't because it looks bad on them, that's not a good way to be doing things, is it? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, um, yeah. and I, I suppose it might be unfair if, if that isn't the case. Yeah, of course, of, yeah. To, yeah. But, but equally, that you know, that's sort of what we were, what some of the vibes that we've been getting have been. So, but you know, I, I agree with you. I think if, but that brings me back to the point: do they do they think that that's the right decision? Yeah, they, exactly. obviously, they obviously don't at this mo- moment. You know, they, they obviously have put so much faith in him. You know, look at the public statements that they've made this year. Mm. How excellently he's been doing. Both Richard Arnold and Edward would talk about his phenomenal job. So to then sort of pivot, I don't know what is it, ten, eleven games into the season, wh- however bad it is, they would consider that as as not sort of riding through the blips that they've they've had. You know, they they consider this as the first real blip that Solskjaer's had, which I suppose you can argue with, given you know twenty nineteen winter or even twenty twenty, yeah. you know, uh, before lockdown, there were some sort of bleak moments there, weren't there? But this feels like the worst it's been. They yeah. consider that to be the first blip, and if he can ride through it, he can still have success. It just feels like this time round, like you say, we've had this before. Even with Ollie, there was a time when we had Spurs and City, and it was like we don't win them two games. Yeah. There's the, the Burnley loss at home, yeah. but that always felt like we didn't have the players we needed. Or, but now you've got those players, and it feels like it has, as we, we've all said, added that little bit of pressure. Um, one player who's not going to be featuring for the next sort of ten weeks, from what we hear, is is Paul Pogba, um, picked up an injury while away at France. I mean, already, you know, the rumours and conjecture and all that sort of going to overdrive. Is, is this it now? Has he, has he played his last game for Manchester United? Because it won't be too long before he can start looking at other clubs. What do you think of, of Paul Pogba's future at the club? Do you think he's got much of a future at Manchester United? Yeah, yeah, it's tough to have. I've changed my mind on this. You know, I've changed my mind on it for You're not two, alone. three years. <laughs> I know. Because I think when he, when he plays like he can, you sort of, you're excited and he does things on a pitch that nobody else in the United squad can do. Um, you know, mm. some of the passing range, obviously the, the variety of his abilities um, sort of speaks to itself, but he's, ne- he's never really had a, a run, has he? Of, of, I mean, probably last season was, was his best run of form. Uh, where, you know, he scored the winners at Burnley and Fulham, which were, you know, superb mm. strikes. And you sort of thought, oh, here he is, he's, he's stepping up at a real crucial moment. Um, and, you know, from what we're told, he actually would. He, he see, he loves the story of United of, of trying to, you know, get the club to a point of, of winning trophies again. And he has affection for the club, and he hasn't ruled out signing a new contract to United. There's the issue being the reason why he hasn't agreed to the contract that's on the table is because when he wanted one back in 2019, it wasn't offered to him. Um, 2020, sorry, it was last summer. So th- that's that's his you know point of view, and United probably will say, well, you know, you had your agent, your agent did come out and say it's over for Paul Pogba at Man United, and you'd kind of given us the the idea that you wanted to leave. So would we have offered you a contract at that point? I think that there's it's an interesting dynamic that that you know I don't I, I think Pogba's perhaps been a little bit misunderstood in that. I think he actually generally would have quite liked to stay, and I don't think he has absolute governance over what Mina Rola comes out with. Um, I clearly could have a word privately and, and say, you know, come on. And I think Rola's kind of rode back a bit. I mean, I know he came out with some stuff a couple of weeks ago, but he doesn't feel like he's been no, it doesn't rattling feel, the hornet's yeah. nest as much. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if something has been said. But um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that he's injured, you know, is is, is difficult really for Solskjaer. I, I, albeit, 
he wasn't great in Bergamo, you know, probably one of his mm. poorest performances. It's not that long ago when you were talking about him saluting his, his start to the season where, you know, he started with seven assists and he was looking fantastic against Leeds. And he, it was in that left wing position, wasn't it? You know, um, Ronaldo comes in and that obviously then means that he's basically one of the two sitters and that's always been a role that he hasn't really been great with and you can you can make arguments both ways should United have actually built a team that catered to him more should he develop his game better so that he can fit into the United team um, you look at the performances he does for France and you think can't, can't they be reproduced for United um, it feels like there's more protection for him with France you know for him to try those you know turns that he perhaps sometimes get dispossessed on um, but yeah, I mean, being out for sort of eight to ten weeks with this, this thigh injury, you know, we all saw the the the, the, uh, the attempted goal, didn't we, um, in training for France? Um, mm-hmm. Not great timing. I guess he would have been suspended for the Watford game anyway. Um, but it does it gets into next year, doesn't it? And then he can talk to foreign yeah. clubs if he wishes. But I don't know. I, th- I've always had the vibe that he'd actually quite like to stay. But I mean, maybe that's me being a bit naive, and um, maybe it comes to the end of the season and, and he does depart. I, I think United might take that view ultimately um, but it's, it could go either way really could it's mad because I remember in 2011 having this conversation 2012 yeah. having yeah. the same yeah. conversations with yeah. my mates like is he going to stay is he going to go to Juve he's going to be obviously back then it was he's going to be a star for the future and you know nearly 10 years later we're still having him yeah. it's, it's just mad. every year though isn't it? That's the pr- I think that's the thing that people sort of get a bit sick of Yeah, this has been going on since basically the first summer he was back like when's he leaving Yeah, does, does he want to stay does he see the vision does it you know is, are we building enough around him and there's been, especially when you see someone like Bruno come in and do what he's done and we haven't had to change much around him and you just think sometimes it's it's asking a lot to fix everything around one player who, uh, this isn't his first sort of two or three month, two or three month injury. Mm. He tends to get, you know, an injury of this sort once a year in recent mm. years. We had the last one at similar time actually, wasn't it, last mm. season? So it's just a, it's one of those ongoing things that we've had to talk about for as United fans for six years or ten years. Yeah, you know, I mean, or, you, know, you, you really to it then, Jay. Yeah, you I, back in twenty twelve. I remember, you know, I remember like, when he was he obviously came through the youth team, and yeah. there was these rumours he wasn't happy, he didn't want to stay. Yeah. he was, you know, he was going to go to Juventus, and I remember sort of trying to convince myself and others saying, "No, he'll stay, he'll stay at United." And Fergie gave him a little bit of game time. If you remember, I remember going to Ellen Road once he started in that game, and he brought him on a couple of times in the Premier League, and you thought, okay, this is Fergie saying. Next year, I'm going to use you a bit more. Mm. And he went to Juventus, and he just, you know, he, he didn't fancy it or whatever. Comes back, and like Joe said, you know, last few years we've had it every so. And it's a shame because I, I love Paul Pogba, I do, when he's on form. Mm, the problem yeah. is, we've had too many games like, say, in the Bergamo, where just when you think, okay, this is it, he's had a good start to the season, or he's getting a bit of form, either gets injured, mm. or he has a drop off in form, or, you know, we try and play him out of position. So it's just a combination of things that leave it a little bit underwhelming at times. Mm. What? This is more of a personal question, oh, not, not like too <laughs> personal. Yeah, what do you know what that is? Excuse me. No. Um, what is it like for you reporting on United at the minute? Because obviously, working for the Athletic, you have, you know, right up there in terms of reliability of of, a, of an outlet. You're not someone. You generally peop, uh, an outlet that people look at and think they're probably telling me the truth. Whereas, Tier one. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas a lot of places, a lot of tabloids and and, and other places don't have that at all. How much pressure do you feel on you at the moment when no one can agree on what they even want to happen and you're meant to sort of filter what you're hearing, what one source is saying, what this person's source is saying and and put things out that you believe to be true, obviously. But also, how much do you have to think about the people that are reading what you're saying? Because 
everything's just exploding at the minute. Everyone hates this person or you're defending this person. Like, how much pressure is on you when you're writing your articles, when you're putting the stories together? Do you, does it feel horrible? <laughs> I know it's a bit, more, you know, no, not I'm really like, about United, I, I, but like, is what, nice. what is, how is it? I'm an egotist, so I don't mind questions like <laughs> that. Um, no, yeah, it's, I mean, listen, it's the best job in the world, isn't it? I yeah, can, of course. I, I could not yeah. play football. So, like, for, for love and money, I'm playing six aside tomorrow night and, and my teammates will absolutely vouch for that. Um, but, you know, you go into matches. So I, that was the kind of the, the baseline. I'd always say that is, you know, we go to incredible play, like we're in Bergamo the other, other night, you know, fantastic. Um, but yeah, there is pressure definitely because, mm. you know, particularly with us as an as the athletic, you know, putting ourselves forward as, as a place of reliability, you have to get it right. So that day after the Liverpool game where it, everyone was like, you know, what's happening? And there was lots of stories coming out about considering sacking him and, and um, you know, what it looks, looks like, you know, silence from United. It looks like it's going to, you know, go one way. And we were able, fortunately, to have like a bit of breathing room and make the calls and, and kind of do what we felt was the right take at the right moment, which ended up being the next morning and th that he was, you know, safe for now, basically. But that is the issues that w were prevalent. Um, and it's just trust, really. It's just having relationships with people where you can have honest conversations and and just trusting what they say um, because you never you're not in the room are you so you, yeah. you're not seeing it with your own eyes you're having to get people's accounts of things but in terms of yeah what people read you know I've had so many comments on my pieces at various points telling me I'm an idiot or mm. telling me I've called it wrong or I'm not sticking my neck out enough to kind of <laughs> criticize the manager but I kind of my, my natural disposition is not is trying to see a few different sides and, and I don't I, I, you know, I, I, clearly I can understand people that, that say, oh, they're going to sell shots, not good enough. Like I, I can, you, there's no evidence to say that he is because of what, where he's come from. I think you can say that he's done really good work and progressed the team in the last two years where you look at the finishing positions and the kind of motion around the place. And I think you can't underestimate the emotional pull of, of football because it's it, like, I've sort of said this before, but it's such a, you know, it's a, it's a modern game where it's awash with money and, you know, what is the ultimate reason for certain teams existing where at least you've got a guy here who clearly loves the club and yeah. you know wants the best for it so i think an, an emotional connection is is, is valuable um but yeah when yes i i do, yeah, do, I do sometimes i look at the comments on you know, on twitter on, on my, and i kind mm. of just flick off quickly or do you have people like blaming you for you say ollie's safe for now and people blame you for it like it was your <laughs> yeah. decision yeah I don't, I don't get that fortune i remember do not. yeah i remember i remember david Ornsey, my colleague getting it um when Unai Emery was still in charge at Arsenal <laughs> yeah. and he was getting the memes and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> like it's up him. to him to sack yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty powerful to be fair, yeah. aren't he? But uh, no, yeah, he obviously didn't have that call. So um, I've not had any of that yet. And I don't, I, yeah, I, I kind of, I think I can, you can look at certain accounts and you can kind of ignore them because mm. you know that it's, it's perhaps baiting. But there's some that I'll interact with that I think, okay, I'm, I'm going to have a little dialogue with you. And, and do you, working for the athletic, do they, do they come to you and say, when you work, they say, we have an emphasis on getting it right. We're not trying to, you know, be clickbait. We're not trying to sort of, you know, run, run people around getting views and, and likes for fake stories. Do, does that get told to you or do they sort of hire people that they think fit that mold anyway? Because I always think like some, some publications, you kind of have the guys that you know that work for them that are more reliable than the other people that work for them. Yeah. But the athletic seems to have an, an overall in, in all the sports, basketball and, and football and everything that it's like, as an organisation, you're trying to go for truth and sort of, you know, reliability, almost not above all else, because obviously you do it, loads of stuff, but that seems to be the ethos of the whole place. Is that told to you when you were there? When we first joined, pretty much, yeah, yeah. that was their, 
you know, um, the whole idea behind it that, you know, they just want it to be correct, basically, and, yeah. and try and tell sort of stories around football for us, you know, in a, in a deeper way. Um, you know, that might sound a bit, you know, who, who are we to say that mm -hmm. we're telling them in the right way? But um, I think because we've got because we've got time and we've got, you know, we've got quite a lot of people that, you know, we've got, I'm dedicated to Manchester United. So you look at other people on other newspapers, for example, they've kind of got a balanced Man City as well, perhaps. So I've, I've got a bit more time in that regard. Um, and we, we don't have to do, you know, other places might have to do stories every day, you know, two, three, four a day. Um, we don't necessarily have to do that. We do have a news section where, so for example, we did the story on Paul Pogba's injury mm -hmm. earlier before I came over here. Because that was kind of like a, you know it's a it's a it's a one it's a yes or no story isn't it it's it's a clear yeah. factual story, um, and so they they want to do things like that but it's but for the wider pieces we've got a, they don't they don't necessarily say you have to do it you know today we can have a bit of time and we've we've got that opportunity to call people and kind of meet people and just get get to know them better so that hopefully that builds up a bit of trust and. You can write the right stories. Is there much collaborating? Because we've had Daniel Taylor on here, we've had Andy Mitten on here. I know you guys do a podcast together. Do you work together on some stories and certain things? And you know, being able to exchange the sort of information you've got because obviously, you know, you've got guys there who've you know been covering United for years and, and know the stuff as well. Yeah, that's huge. To be fair, like, and I don't, I don't, I think there is a case at some places, but not not all. Like, it, it's more. The, the messaging systems we've got are kind of instant and everyone can see it so you can kind of all chip in um, and yeah it's much more of a it, we just want the best stories whoever it's not doesn't have to be one person's name on it if it's like three or four then fine you're absolutely fantastic yeah. really um, as long as you know you, you kind of know where people are getting stuff from and you can kind of go right okay what what you have to sort of sometimes pick through certain agendas, maybe like why is this person telling me this? Right, um, okay, yeah. And trying, but it just—it's time. It's you know, it's kind of understanding over a series of years, really. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, really good. I wanted to ask you one question because we've not touched on it, and it's like a hot topic that comes up constantly. Donny van der Beek. You <laughs> <laughs> get this every single Q and A. I'm, so, I'm sorry, but I feel like just. Obviously, he's had like in it, <laughs> compared to previous weeks a bit of bit of game time yeah. against City, and obviously his cameo uh, against Atalanta. Do you feel like he has got much of a, a future at United? I know that sounds crazy for someone that didn't sign that long ago, mm. but it just feels like you know for whatever reason, Oli doesn't quite fancy him. And even the game against City when he came on, it felt almost like the crowd encouraged that mm. one rather than <laughs> Oli had a plan for him. You, you do wonder whether it would take a change of manager for him to really yeah. get a run of games in the in the team. Um, I think because. Clearly, Solskjaer trusts McTominay and Fred to do what he asks them to do, even though sometimes they can't do it to the top abilities. I, I personally think McTominay is actually a really important player, whereas Fred, he, he makes too many mistakes for me. Um, but then you sort of look at it and go, well, why aren't you giving Donny van der Beek a run? Clearly, he's seen stuff in training that he doesn't quite you know, fancy, really, I suppose, to, to give him that start. He's had opportunities, I suppose, in the past, where you look at the West Ham game away last season, where he had to get taken off and... You know, at half time when they were trailing and, and Bruno Fernandes gets sent on and, and they win the game so it kind of like that reinforces that idea that actually Bruno's my guy because he was he was basically bought really as a rotation for Bruno Fernandes in the number 10 position I think also as a kind of alternative if Paul Pogba left there was that, this idea that Paul Pogba was going to leave that summer and um, and so Solskjaer, he's kind of been caught between a few stools there Van der Beek where is he doing enough for Solskjaer to go and thrust him into the team in, and what position would he do so? And then when he's on the pitch, is he sort of doing enough to kind of justify him getting another chance? I, I think against Atalanta, I, th I thought he was bright. You know, he kind of, the one-touch pass 
that sort of ultimately caused the chaos that Ronaldo mm. benefited from with that wonderful strike. I'm not saying that without Van der Beek, <laughs> yeah. that goal gets, you know, it's not like an assist, is it? But he was involved there and obviously went close with his shot. I, I, so I, and I think he's, he's clearly a, you know, a good guy that wants to work hard. He's obviously been through a, a difficult p- period here by not playing and, and losing out on the, the Dutch national team. Um, I think he does have a future at United, but it, it might... It might take that, you know, Pogba being out might give him that few more opportunities and, and the situation that United are in. I, I would quite like to see him just start, start you know, a proper game, maybe even Watford, just to, yeah. just to see, just mm. go and, you know, see what you can do. Because it seems like he's perhaps knocking on the door a bit more now. Sancho's another one. I keep saying this, but I feel like he, they're being compared to each other like it's the same situation. Yeah. And I don't think, it just because it's two players who haven't played much recently... But Sancho started quite a few games at the start of the season. I don't think he's done 90 minutes, but mm. it's not the same situation at all as far as I'm concerned. What are your thoughts on that? And also this whole thing of everyone's outraged at him training as a, as a wing-back. That's what I'm asking you about it. <laughs> do, do you think that's a problem? Or do you just think, well, we're trying new systems, people might have to be a bit more flexible. But it's, it's kind of this thing of, I think... Because of the Donny situation, yeah. people are kind of seeing early signs of that with Sancho and going, he's ruining Sancho's career, when really he's, it's only been sort of half a dozen games or so that he's mm. not featured much in. Mm. What are your thoughts on the Sancho situation? Yeah, I agree with you, Joe. I think it's a different um, situation because Sancho is somebody that Solskjaer has wanted for basically three years. You know, In the first year, they signed Dan James instead, and then you know, the summer after that, they couldn't do the deal. And then they actually, you know, they, they did the right, they waited. Mm. They got a player for a much... You know, lower valuation than what they were going to pay. Twenty-one-year-old got the, his whole future ahead of him. Looks like a really talented technical player. Um, you know, op, you know, can can dribble, can pass. You know, he's got an eye for goal. Got really good end product. So I, I you know, it looks a great signing. Um, I think he's probably been a bit of, as I've said in the piece, a bit of collateral damage from the situation that's kind of engulfing United and, and Solskjaer, shuffling things around to try and find a solution, a, a balance between defence and attack. Whereas you'd ideally just like him to say there you go on the right wing start week after week get into the gear um but he's another one where the Ronaldo thing has kind of caused a few dominoes where Greenwood perhaps might have been centre forward more frequently he's now on the right and Greenwood's in great form so Sancho goes over to the left although Sancho started on the left against Wolves when Dan James was on the right which kind of confused me because Dan James came through at Swansea on the left. So anyway, um, but the word, the pace of the league was was a factor for, for Sancho. I'm told you know that he was t- taken aback by the, the, the speed of it, and that's not to say the Bundesliga is a slow league, but it, I don't think it's quite the same level as the Premier League for intensity. But by all accounts, he's really he accepts that. It's not like he's come in and gone. This is a joke that I'm not playing. He kind of mm. realizes that he's got to add a few more bits to his game to just get to the level where he can. You know, play every week, and I think against Man City, he came on and, and did for me he did bits that that's what I, I want to see from him. Where he was, he was really running hard in in behind. He was getting the ball. He wasn't like letting his shoulders drop when he wasn't found. He was trying to do things, dribble and, and set people up. So, um, but yeah, the, I mean the, the, the wing back thing. I think he's. I think Solskjaer has just been trying to explore a few different, you know, formations. I don't, I don't think you could really have a, a criticism of that. And not to say that he's a Victor Moses or, or anything like that, but you know, Victor Moses was a winger and then he was a, a wing back and it worked for Chelsea in, in winning the title. And that mm. was kind of seen as an ingenious move from Antonio Conte. I think you could only ever do it really if they were up against a team that was, you know, kind of lower level Premier League. You know, yeah. it would be unfair to ask him to do that against Man City or somebody like that. But I think in one way you could actually see it as quite an attacking um 
sort of choice because he wouldn't necessarily have to do that much defending. He'd pay basically you'd have like sort of three defenders and he'd be pushing on. Mm. Clearly, it's a lot more complicated than just going here. You go have a, have a go on the the right wing as a right wing back and, and see what happens. You know, it would need a lot of time sort of to develop if that's what they actually wanted to try and do. I think ultimately they they sh- they will just have him you know as a winger. But it mm. was it was I thought it was quite an interesting aspect that they kind of explored it a little bit. A couple of times since we've been chatting, you've mentioned about Ronaldo and you've mentioned once about him coming in as a not really a planned thing and we've had to work around that and not really been able to and again there you sort of mentioned Greenwood was maybe going to play more games as a number nine do you think Ole regrets signing Ronaldo at all? No, no you think that he's glad because there's two sort of thoughts of it one is if it weren't for Ronaldo we might already be out of Europe Mm. and we might be in the bottom half of the Premier League and the other thought is he should never have come. It was a, more of a sort of Falcao-style sign. I remember Falcao was trending at the time we signed Ronaldo, mostly non-United fans trying to wind people up. Yeah. But there is this line of thinking of, he's a bit older, you have to play a team around him. Oli seems to not have been able to get to grips with this new team, whether that's Ronaldo's involvement or not. But you think he's, he's happy with it, he's glad he did it, There's, you know, do it again. Because things, again, it may be coincidence, but the timeline suggests... Oli's had his worst period after Ronaldo's arrived in terms mm. of pressure and results. I think there's any correlation there? Do you think Oli has any sort of reservations about doing what he did? Uh, no, I don't think Oli does because I think you know even sort of last year, I think they tried to sign Ronaldo and Solskjaer was was fully behind it. You know, yeah. it was very much. It, it's this isn't something that's been foisted on him, uh, as far as I understand it. You know, it's very much that he you know way back at the start of the summer we wrote that. I mean, Solskjaer regards him as the best player he's ever played with above Skulls for the fact that he's had so much success, you know, away from Manchester United, you know, in, in terms of the goals and in terms of the trophies that he's won individual and collectively. So Solskjaer's always had that view of him. And if he could bring him to United, the idea would be he would raise standards. Mm. And I think he, you can see that he has exacting standards. Mm. If everyone was like Ronaldo, I think they'd have, you know, a very good chance of being, you know, challenging for the title. I mean, in terms of their, you know, attitude and their kind of, yeah, it's ferocious. You know, I know you guys obviously know Rio Ferdinand. And I had an interview with him last week where he was talking about his what he's like now. He's actually more intense now than he was when he was first at United because he realised that he's got like a small period of time left mm-hmm. to, to you know make a final mark on things. So I think he re- he's really invested in it, Ronaldo. He's not like he's kind of come here for you know a, a swan song, a sort of like late payday. He kind of and he could have gone to Man City, you know. So he's come to Man United with a bit of that kind of romantic feeling, I suppose, yeah. to it all. Um, it's just it, the, the repercussions of it are trying to... F- it, the team was kind of going one direction, I suppose, and, and, and this is like a slight dog leg, I suppose. It's not a U-turn. It's <laughs> a slight deviation from where it was going, and, and that naturally takes time to, to develop and, and get right, and perhaps that is what Solskjaer's currently dealing with. Just one final question for me. I just wanted to ask you about, obviously you're talking about the right-hand side and maybe Jaden Sancho perhaps being a wing-back. On the left-hand side, we've had all sorts of problems last few weeks, especially with Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire, who were two of our best players last season and obviously had a great Euros as well, you know, sort of Schubert or Carlos and, and Harry Maguire. We've seen comical we never now. got a Maguire portman. No, we didn't. A, we a need one. Legend. We needed to work on you one You had Small Deeney yeah. a little bit. You had Schubert or Carlos. Yeah. We need a Maguire one. Yeah, I think... I mean, I don't know this I don't know, but now is the time yeah, to do it. it but be, yeah, yeah. yeah, but he was in the team of the tournament, obviously. Yeah, he had yeah, a, yeah. you know, star of the game against Germany. What have you made of the, the, the drop-off in form for them? Because it has been pretty spectacular for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, it's really confusing. And quite sad, really, because I think that those two guys are, are, are two people that two players that I think fans can really get behind like I know that 
Harry Maguire sometimes seems a little bit awkward in post-match press conference, not press conference, post-match media stuff. Mm. But actually, I think what he says and what he, you know, I've interviewed him in the past, uh, and I kind of, I really liked what I was hearing from him. He's a genuine, authentic guy. He works really hard, you know, in terms of he'll put his body through things, you know. So he, he played for two months um, with painkiller injections in his hip just to keep going for United. Like he, he's not one of these that will kind of cry off, at, you know, a slight, you know, knock or whatever. Um, and, and and Luke Shaw, I think his character has come on leaps and bounds since Jose Mourinho left. He's obviously been nurtured by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, mm. which again you have to give Solskjaer credit for. Um, and he's become quite an influential figure almost. You know, he he was the one, as I wrote in the Super League piece, that was sort of going to Ed Woodward saying this isn't right. You know, he he was pushing yeah. that. You know, which is quite impressive, really. Um, so I've I've kind of it's it's been yeah sad to see their their form dip so much. I mean one. One theory is that you know the, this, the stuff with the Euros was so euphoric, was so kind of intense for that period, but they didn't win. Is there a natural easing off from that point? You know that they kind of need to sort of relieve, you know, to kind of just depressurize. Um, or alternatively, you know, they, they didn't win. They got all this adulation. Is that a, is that a subliminal thing where you kind of think, okay, well that's quite good. That's that's okay. That's the standard, rather than. We need to right bite down and, and go again. Um, I, I don't think it's anything deliberate. It's just that they're in a, a bit of funk. And I think Maguire has obviously he came back early from his injury against Leicester, which I think you kind of have to yeah. take and his context. play style as well. Is give him the ball, make him bring the ball out. Those yeah. two in particular pass to each other all the time. Yeah. They're our biggest outlet out of the defence. Mm. So if they're not fully fit, you can see how Maguire carrying the ball forward and finding his passes and looking composed on the ball. When that goes away, you look a complete shell of yourself, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Luke Shaw's had had an illness as well. Yeah, you're yeah. right, and obviously he got concussion right now. But I, I agree. When when those two are at it, I mean, that that ball that Maguire does out to the wing for sure, he can then bomb on. It's great. And I, I wonder if, you know, you remember sort of Shaw and Rashford combining so well um, during that period. I think it was lockdown, wasn't it? Where yeah. um, um, they were just looking right on it. You know, Luke Shaw underlapping runs, and he's not had that with Rashford this season because Rashford's obviously been coming back from his shoulder surgery. So. It, I suppose it's all those little bits and bobs where the, the sort of slight tweaks have, have changed and, and does that affect how you are on the pitch? I think some hesitancy has crept into both their games perhaps and, mm. and that's perhaps the main thing. Hopefully they can turn it around because we need him and it's you know it's obviously affecting us. Laurie, thanks for that chat. Could have gone on for ages. And yeah. <laughs> I feel like it did, did it? <laughs> yeah, I did a no. waffle on. No, it was really good stuff. Uh, make sure you're checking out Laurie Whitwell at The Athletic as well. It feels like we have someone from The Athletic on every week, which is good for us. Thanks because, for you. No, no, always good stuff. So make sure you're checking them out as well. And if you're not doing, make sure you're subscribing to the channel. Laurie, thanks for having coming on. Joe, Cheers. thanks for joining me as thanks always. Thanks for having me. No, it's always a pleasure. You know where to find him. You know where to Ronaldo. find me as well. <laughs> so make sure you are subscribing to the channel. This has been the Tier 1 Podcast with Laurie Whitwell from The Athletic. Thanks for watching. Sports Social Podcast Network.